Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to a special episode of TV Gold. I'm James Manning from Media Week. Joining me as he does every episode is Andrew Mercado, and we're going to be doing a special look at the new Stan series Prosper today. And I'm very pleased to say we've got they are uh, one of the stars of the show, Rebecca Gibney, coming back to the uh, TV Gold Studio. Welcome back, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, James. Always good to uh, talk to you about your projects. Now, look, I've watched all of these. I think Andrew's maybe halfway through. I'm very scared of spoilers. So I'm going to start things off asking you, what can you tell us? How much detail can you give us about your character and what attracted you in the first place? Um, look, I all I can say is Abby Quinn is the matriarch of the Quinn family and she is the woman behind the man. She is deeply religious. She has a great belief that the husband is the head of the church as he is the head of the household. And, of course, the minute Richard Roxborough signed on to take on the role of Cal Quinn, I couldn't say no because any opportunity to work with him. The last time I worked with Richard was in 1997. So um, I was just thrilled to be given the opportunity to work with him. I hadn't read the scripts at that stage. Um, I'd read one of them, I think. So I wasn't sure about where the journey was going, but I just knew we were in safe hands with Matt Cameron and, and Jason Stevens, who created the show, particularly because they reassured all of us that this isn't a show having a go at faith. It's not about the evil people running a mega empire. Um, it's a, it's about a flawed family who are, are trying to keep the lid on secrets while managing this mega church as they as they prepare to launch into the US um, and to try and stop things unraveling. I guess. Is that enough information? Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> I mean, I would describe your character, Rebecca, as being quite cold. You know, she's very icy in those first episodes. And it's a, a, a real change of pace for you. I mean, you always play such lovely uh, characters. And I'm trying to think back, have you ever played like bad girls or evil characters? I mean, I know in The Dressmaker you're a bit up yourself and uh, I'm trying to figure out when you were in um, that show, the, oh, I've lost it now, I wrote it down here, the Mar the Wicked Love, the Maria Corp story. W were you a, a bad No, I wasn't a baddie in that either. I was a No, no, I played baddie. I did a film called Low Down Dirty Criminals where I played a very evil woman called the Upholsterer. She was pretty bad. She was pretty bad. But I don't I think Abby is bad. I don't think she's even icy. I think she's she is possibly, and as the series wears on, I think you'll understand her motivations more. She has had to deal with situations that have put her in a really compromising position and it's put the church in a compromising position. And so, therefore, it's incredibly upsetting, particularly when she's got a husband who is erratic and slightly out of control. And I think, I think the we we come into this series at a point where this is what she always seems to do. She seems to clean up after him. And I think she's just getting a bit fed of it, fed up with it. Even though as as a law, you know, as a as a woman who abides by the rules, I suppose, of the Bible or who deeply believes in her faith, she thinks this is what she has to do. But I think it, it gets to a point in this series where um she can't do that anymore and she's going to have to start making some changes to save not only her family but the church that they've created. Yeah, that's the amazing thing for me is how your character develops in this because you you get to a stage, in, I know if it was the first episode, but early on you think, gee whiz, um, 
Abby's the sensible one here trying to trying to hang on, you know. And that, and that in a way, as you said, she's reacting because the family gets into a fair bit of, bit of trouble. Um, you know, most people go down a, a wrong alley at some stage, and she's dealing with that. Tell us a little bit about the the family members and if you've worked with many of them before. Well, obviously, I'd only <clears throat> worked with Richard before. I hadn't worked with uh, you and Leslie, and, and I have to say his performance is equally as compelling in this entire series as you watch his character, the journey that he goes on in the series. You and Leslie, again, is just one of Australia's finest. He's, he's a wonderful actor, and I loved working with him. But again, the young cast, the, uh, the younger cast, I hadn't worked with any of them, and a lot of them are fresh faces to Australian audiences. Hayley McCarthy, who plays Izzy, my daughter, is just astonishing, um, as is Andrea Salon. She plays um, Juno. Geordie Webber, he's a Kiwi boy. Um, you know, they, uh, and oh, Jacob, who plays Jed. Um, they're just really, the nuanced performances and the ability that they all have to just bring these layer upon layer to their characters has been phenomenal. What about Ming Zhu Hai, um, who plays Taz? But no, was, was she in Halifax, Retribution yes, with Halifax. you? Yes, Ming Zhu was, is, was in Halifax, and she is, again, astonishing, vastly different character for her. Um, I think that's the thing we all found. We were all doing vastly different characters that whenever that we've ever done before. So there is a, there was a great responsibility with that. But Mingzhu is astonishing. So again, as you watch her relationship with the you and Leslie's character Dion unfold, it just it twists and turns. And of course, um, lovely Alex who plays Mo, the youngest. He's a, straight out of NIDA. I think there's going to a huge career ahead for him as well. The I'm. Some of the reviews have been um, comparing this maybe to succession in that <laughs> it's a family. Um, interesting, the church is called U-Star. Succession's <laughs> company was called Y-Star. Um, can you see, were you a succession viewer, and can you see that, yeah, there are similarities? Oh, absolutely. I adore Succession. I thought it was a wonderful show. I, yes, I, I could see why there would be comparisons. I just think, I think the Quinn family's got a few more morals than the Roy's, <laughs> but I'd like to think they do. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, what about, um, so you mentioned before Matt Cameron and Jason Stevens created the show. And it's interesting because Matt Cameron had just made the clearing for Disney Plus, which was about a cult. And in some ways, he's in a, making a show about another cult now. And I know they, they don't want this show to be thought of as by being critical of religion. Um, but is there something there that made them decide to put this family drama into the world of the the mega church the the little australian churches that are looking for you know overseas success with the american market and want to become massive over there with all the evangelists over there um, do you know what? Uh, I think Matt, Matt, both Matt and Jason have been very open about the fact that when they sat down to create a new show, they went, what is it that Australia is exports on a global scale? What is it that, that it appeals internationally? And they kept coming back to the megachurch. Australians do megachurch incredibly well. So wow. I think it was just a fascinating topic for them. And, and I think I agree with them. They, this is in no way having a go at the church or the community of the church. And I even had to struggle with when I decided to do the role because I was raised in a Christian family. My mother is Christian. I have a lot of Christian um, family members. And I, and I did have to discuss this with them that I was saying, you know, as far as I know, this is not having a go at faith. It is not having a go at religion 
because religion in its purest sense is is fantastic. I think, and, and churches, when you come together, the music is uplifting. There's a sense of belonging, a sense of 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 acceptance and non-judgment, and that's what church is meant to be. And I think again, this isn't any comment on that. It's about the mega church that has become a global empire, and where does the church stop, and where does it become a corporate? situation and i think that's what this is it's it's how power and how wealth can corrupt even the faithful that's kind of been my catchphrase and i think that's what this is is showing and it's about jostling for power in that there's a wonderful scene in episode eight at the very end where richard sits down with his son and you can see he's tortured and he says when we started this it was small and it was beautiful and then it got so big and now it's out of control. And he is genuinely tortured with it because I think here is a man who wants to go and spread the word of God, but he's created this monster and he doesn't know what to do about it. Rebecca, tell me about the uh, two central locations, the church, mm -hmm. which is an amazing building, which is now a club, I think. And I'll see him out at Rooney Hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the waterfront mansion, which looks a lot to me like the John Ibrahim's house in uh, last King of the Cross. Well, I'm not. It sure. is. It's the same house. <laughs> it's the same house. I used to live at Coogee, and that, that was the end of the dog walk. You got to the end of the street, you couldn't go any further. And here's this house. And even back then, it, 20 years ago, it was being used for launches and commercials. And now, whenever I see those sort of glass windows, I go, "Oh, we're in that house again." Here we go. Again, I think uh, it was very specific, the the need for a lot of a place that allows a lot of light. Certainly, um, Jen Lacey, our, our setup director, wanted to create a feeling that God is watching. Um, and so, hence, there's lots of light and shadow, dark, the way it's graded, the way it has been shot. Is specifically, there's a lot of wide angles and, and so you can see a lot of light. So, I think it is that feeling that God is watching. And also the the turbulence of the ocean, you know, the the yeah. waves crashing in on the rocks there. There's lots of establishing shots to sort of go, well, there's trouble afoot here. Yeah, exactly. It's boiling and 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 roiling, and that's exactly what's going on in the family as the secrets start um, being being shared. You know, you start finding out all this stuff that that's gone on in this family and how fractured they are. And it's I, I, I love the way, that, I mean, that's very clever writing because every episode reveals something more about each character. And I think it's just, I think it's wonderful. I think it's very good. Um, short, most TV now is shorter run series. You six, four, six, eight, maybe 10, you know, at, at a stretch. You've, of course, worked on shows much longer. What do actors feel about? Do they enjoy the, the shorter work or... Are there financial ramifications? It means, oh, you've got to look for more jobs. Yeah, I think there's one, definitely financial ramifications. One <laughs> I mean, time you'd do rafters and you'd shoot 22 episodes at once and then you might get four four months off, which was great because you made enough money to survive for the next four to six months. Um, yeah, I think, I, but I think people's um, attention span is is much shorter now because there is so much product out there. There is so much to watch that I think people just, you know, they don't know how, how are we going to grab their attention. Um, and so, yes, as an actor, I think you also don't want to be overexposed. You know, I'm worried that I'm, I'm going to have to go away again for a little while now because people are going to be, oh, I'm not her again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just as well I'm in New Zealand, I could pick up the odd job over there. <laughs> Um, in the story, there's a there's a one of the storylines is about a, a DJ pop star who's being wooed 
to become a kind of a spokesperson and a big signing for the mega church. And I'm just wondering, you don't need to name names, but, you know, over your long career, have you seen people sort of, because you're working with big names, have you seen people being targeted by churches sort of going, well, we'd love you to kind of come in and, and be a spokesperson for their church? Do you think that's really common? I don't know if, that, I don't know if they target them. I don't know if, if that's, um, I think, Again, with these mega churches and with churches in general, there is you you kind of get drawn in because of the feeling of acceptance and love. That's what church is meant to be. It's meant to be a place where you you are accepted no matter what. And I think particularly when you reach certain heights of fame or money or whatever, it's like, okay, what else is there? And so I think that's why it becomes appealing to those people. I don't know if they go out and target them as such. Just- they do in our show, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our show stretching the truth just a little. I think we we are making a drama after all. As you as people that will watch it will go, okay, so we've taken something that potentially looks like something else that might have happened in reality, and we've just made it bigger because it's drama. You know, it's conflict, it's drama. That's why people want to tune in and watch it. There's my headline: just stretching the truth a little. <laughs> <laughs> so now, just following on from Andrew's question, is there a is there a and how conscious of you are of protecting your brand. And it sounds very wanky, doesn't it, to talk about the brand of an actor, but you've done a good job over the years. You haven't, you don't, from my memory, you haven't done a lot of endorsements or commercial um, activity, and you're quite pure as an actor. I mean, has that been intentional or you just haven't been offered big bucks for things? <laughs> Do you know what? It's not even about being because I'm about to go and do a, a very, very, very low budget show in New Zealand that I just really love because uh-huh. of the project itself. Um, I yes, I am aware of my brand. Um, and I I but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna play unlikable characters. It's just I'm actually stroke there's a there's a show that's that wants me to do it and the character in this particular show is unlikable. And I went, I'm happy to be unlikable, but I have to have motivations and I have to understand why she's doing all of these things. And there has to be an element of humanity because I think even bad, evil characters have got to have, have moments where you go, oh, I understand that, or I can mm-hmm. see why I might not like them, I might not like their actions, but I've got to understand them. Otherwise, they're just one-dimensional and no one, you know, the evil villain. And that's what I think is great about Prosper is that Abby's not bad. And I know you keep saying she's icy and steely. I just think she's had to lay it, she's had to cover up how she really feels for so long that she can't afford to break down, which is why there is a moment in later in one of the later episodes where she does finally let go, but she's alone when she does it because she cannot afford for anyone else to see that. And I think that actually helps, well, hopefully will help the audience understand her and go, this poor woman has had to carry this for so long. She's had to clean up his mess and everyone else's mess and toe the line for so long that it's got to a point where she can't do it anymore. Talking about women who've had to carry a lot, I mean, you've been executive producer of many of the shows you've been in recently, whether it's Under the Vines, Halifax, Retribution, on and on it goes, Wanted, Winter. I mean, is Prosper almost like a holiday for you now just to sit back and, and act? No, you know what? It was actually really hard because I was like, no, I want to have control and I've been trying <laughs> can I see some of it and when can I see some of it? And they were like, no, you can't see it until it's done. I'm like, no, 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 but I can so even when he's watching one of the episodes and just watching one of the edits and going, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. 
I saw some of the stuff that I'd been, you know, the way I was cut together, I was like, oh, I'm sure I did a bit of take on. You know, I can't help myself. But it's, you know, it's I, I'm in a, in a way, yes, I, it was nice to be able to just walk away and, and you know, go and have dinner with friends. It's, it's not, it's kind of Richard and I both said because, as as you know, when you're watching it, Richard's never off on this show. He has to be on the whole time. Like, it, I think for him, one of the most demanding characters that he's played in a very, very long time. There's not a lot of laughs for Richard. He always has to be either charismatic or falling apart. Um, so we both joked about, you know, would it be nice to go and do a comedy together one day at the end of all this? Andrew and I reviewed the series on a separate episode just before we um came to you today and we said oh, how what am great I gonna it is. That? Sorry. What am I gonna say that? Did you um, hate it? You haven't uh, said you thought of it yet. <laughs> no, no spoilers. Um the but we said how good it is to see and we talked about big budget TV shows and I'm just wondering they when you think about it there's there's not a lot of different sets. So they've been quite clever, I think, but it looks like they spent a lot on this. Do you think yeah, they were smart or did they really have a lot of money? Uh, not by American standards, a lot of money, no, no. Um, I think we have a very clever producer and Andy Walker. I think he's used to dealing with budgets of this level and he knows where the money needs to be spent. I think, you know, um, and he, there was a lot of input, obviously, from the designer and and our director so that they were able to shoot it in a certain way. But, yes, we had certain locations, the Enmore Theatre. We were there for about a week, I think, and the Coliseum Theatre out in Rooney Hill. Um, yeah, they they just made the most of those locations when we were there. We were there for like three or four weeks, I think, from memory. But, yes, it certainly does look like it's got a, a – and, look, it's a decent budget, I guess, by Australian standards, but I wouldn't say it was a massive budget. But it looks great on the screen. It looks like it's got a great budget, and that's ultimately all you want, right? Exactly. exactly. What's it like for you? I mean, you're, you've been such a network uh, girl for so much of your career, making so many shows for Channel 7 free to air, and now you're kind of dipping your toe into the streaming services. Under the Vines, was it made for Acorn, a, a streaming Acorn. service, and, and now you're working with Stan. What well, Are there differences that you're discovering with streaming services versus free to air network, which traditionally you've often worked in? Um, I found so far working with Acorn, and and I can't speak on the producerial level with Stan, but certainly working with Acorn as an executive producer, they are incredibly hands-off. They do read the scripts and they look at the edits, obviously, but they very rarely comment too much. They don't have uh, too much input because they believe that, you know, as creators or, or people making the show that we have to be the ones to produce the product. Um, so, the, and that's been really enjoyable. But then... Having worked with Channel 7, one of the reasons that I'm producing in the first place is because some Julie McGoran gave me my first shot. So I sat with her and I've watched her as a producer over the years and she's so brilliant. So I've really loved working in that envir environment as well. Um, certainly there's a freedom with Stan. I love the fact that there's no ads. <laughs> don't have to worry about commercial breaks and <laughs> stuff like that, which is great. Because you're not having, you know, you know that your work isn't going to be interrupted within 15 minutes while they pop in a, I won't say any product, but a product of some description. So yeah. that's been great. Look, before we let you go today, Rebecca, I wanted to ask a couple of quick questions about a couple of recent things you've done. Um, Andrew and I haven't planned this actually. So, Andrew, I'm sure you'll probably think of a couple anyway, but I, I just wanted to start off with 
um, under the vines, working with Charles Edwards. Um, you, you've finished two seasons, is that right? Right, just finished three, the third. Three. So we're in, we're still in the process of editing. I'm listening to music choices now for certain key moments. So yeah, we finished that uh, end of November, no, early December. We finished shooting. Looked a lot of fun, was it? It was awesome. And Charles and I, Charlie and I, think we knew each other in a past life because we are. He's like my brother from another mother. We get on so well, and it was actually a joy to go from Prosper, which was very quite heavy to something so light and fun and we laughed all day every day for the three months that we were filming it and I think and that's again it's a, it's a romantic comedy so set in you know set in a vineyard in New Zealand in the South Island what's not what's not to love the last time we chatted all of us on a podcast together was you've just done Halifax Retribution and, and James and I loved that show so much and that was another show that really looked like the money had been well spent um, and you were kind of hopeful that there might be more. I mean, is it still there in a draw? Possibly one day Jane Halifax might return? Well, funnily enough, I did actually message Michael Borgland, who's the owner of Head of Beyond about a week ago and I made some comment about Jane Halifax and he went, oh, yes, I'd be interested. My no PBS in America are, are keen. So um, I might be hitting up the guys at Channel 9 when I'm at the tennis next week to, <laughs> <laughs> to find out what, what they say. Uh, I'd be more than happy to go back and explore Jane Halifax. Again, yes, we had a decent budget for that and we had an extraordinary producer and Louisa Cause. So I'd love to go back and do that. I mean, you know, if there was enough we just need a little bit more money. That's the problem. If you get enough money in this country, we've got the talent. We've got the writers. We just need to give the writers time and and give us the budget. And we can produce world-class television, as as we know, as we can see. Well, Michael's just bought the company back, I think. Off, um, he has. Sold it a year ago, so he's probably wanting, rubbing his hands going, okay, I want to get back into it. Exactly. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about, you've worked a bit with Robin Malcolm. I love Robin Malcolm. Have you been after the party yet? No. Well, the, no. the reason I bring her up, have you seen True North, uh, Far North? No, I haven't uh, seen that yet. Hi, and hello. Robin Malcolm, Cheryl West from Outrageous Fortune, one of my all-time favourite TV shows. I spent years screaming into the abyss about how badly it was treated by Australian networks who wouldn't program and in order what played multiple episodes late at night during summer and so like, you guys are insane this could well be one of the best comedy dramas new zealand's ever made and you won't even give it a chance with australian viewers and you know what to this day it's still not streaming anywhere will somebody get outrageous fortune onto streaming is one of the all-time great yeah. drama series from the southern hemisphere Exactly, I agree. And Robin Malcolm is exceptional, which I think you will find again when you see After the Party, which just literally screened in um, Australia, uh, in New Zealand, I think about six weeks ago. And I think it's head of the ABC here. I'm not 100% sure. But After the Party, it's Robin Malcolm, Peter Mullen, and an incredible cast with an incredible story. It's 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 gripping television. It's terrific. Okay. Um, Flying Doctors, you spent a long time on that as yeah. Emma. Um yeah. Double two two sort of questions here. Um, any thoughts about how they've um, re reimagined it, if you like, as RFDS? And do actors talk much about the move of drama away from places like seven, nine, and ten to streaming? And uh, do they think it might come back? Because there's not a lot there, is there these days? Well, I think it's very difficult to lure an audience back to a network when you have got all these incredible streaming services like Stan. Um, 
people don't want to watch shows with 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 ads anymore. They 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 record it. Mum goes, oh, I'll just record it, darling. Like <laughs> she's got a VHS <laughs> and fast forward through the ads. And you know, I th- I think it's 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 hard for the networks to get therefore um, interest for budgets to make the shows like that. So I mean, it would be wonderful if seven nine and 10 started making more more dramas. But it, again, I understand why it would be hard for them if the audiences just aren't there. If the audience want to watch reality TV on the networks, that's what they're going to give them, you know. Yeah, and RFDS? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. No, I haven't. Well, because I've been I've been working. You know, last year I spent maybe 10 weeks at my home because I was I was in Sydney for four months doing Prosper. Then I went to Thailand. Then I was in. I, I went straight onto um, under the vines. So I haven't watched hardly any television, which is I'm gonna. That's gonna be on my um, my agenda over the next couple of months. I I was uh, researching for my book, Outrageous, The Queer History of Australian TV, and I dug out the screeners I got from Channel 10 back in 2006 for tripping off. The series you made and I watched it and wow, it held up so well. And I immediately fired off a email to Daniel McPherson and said, remind me why you didn't make any more of this show. It's, it was so terrific. And on a second viewing, it's it's one of those great Aussie shows that should have gone for longer and it just slipped through the crap. Yeah, I don't see again. I well that's that's a real blast from the past. I adored working. Well, see again, I worked with Yatsik Komen on that. Yes, yes. He's wonderful in in Prosper. Um, but yeah, that was a fantastic series. Again, I don't know why it didn't get picked up for a second series. Yeah, something to do with financing British, you know, you know what happens. Whenever yeah. a, a new network head comes in, they want to put their stamp on it and they kind of wipe the slate and go, oh, I don't want that show. I didn't create it. I can't take credit for it. And and these great dramas end up falling victim to ego. It's sad. It's sad. It is very sad. All right, Andrew, look, we might let Rebecca go. Is there anything else you wanted to? No, thank you very much. Um, My chiropractor said to me, you know, because he knows I'm about TV, he goes, "Um, I love Rebecca Gibney and I saw her on the cover of a magazine. What's she doing? She must be doing something. And I said, yeah, 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 she's got this show called Prosper. It's coming out on stand on Thursday. So he's watching it for sure. Right. Well, I know what you think of all the other four episodes. And you haven't told me, James. You haven't told me what you thought. Well, yeah, I haven't. Oh, no, very no, not no, no. Can I ask this? I want to know when I get to the end of uh, the eight episodes, is is there an option there for a possible second series of Prosper? Definitely. Great. Ooh, wow. Definitely. Yeah. Well, surely that'll happen because I, I think um, Prosper's going to get a big following. People want to see Richard. They want to see Rebecca and uh, them as husband and wife on this um, amazing story about this this church you star a uh, stan is still the home of aussie originals it's getting a lot of competition though but stan is hanging in there with the um i think the most and uh some of the best too stan makes more aussie drama than any other streaming and most of it is fantastic great well see i'm sticking with stan then <laughs> that's it i'll bring my next one there too <laughs> Yeah, and I just said you didn't do many endorsements, but we've got a good one <laughs> today for Stan. Look, uh, Rebecca Gibney, it's always great to have you on uh, the Likewise. TV Gold podcast and um, all the best with Prosper. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>